0: If you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah chapter 52. And as we're concluding the book of Ephesians, we're going to continue looking at what was actually in the Apostles Paul's mind when he started talking about this armor, what we call the armor of God. Armor of God is associated with spiritual, what we call spiritual warfare, it's dealing with the unseen forces that are in the world around us, and there are people, you know, human beings fall along a spectrum, anywhere from where you really kind of doubt whether or not there's unseen forces, we don't know if they're out there really or not, and what they are and all that, all the way over to where, where people become preoccupied with the unseen world. It's all about the unseen world. And for a lot of Christians, you know, the devil is everywhere and he's behind every door. And uh, all you have to do is just give him half a chance and he's in your life and takes over. You know, never mind the Holy Spirit. Uh, The devil has got all this power. So every human being falls somewhere along that spectrum. You either don't believe or you actually uh, believe too much. And as the Apostle Paul has been doing, he's trying to give the people of God, in the book of Ephesians, um, a a grammar of the gospel, a way to think, a way to speak, a way to live out your life. Which, listen, it can be difficult. Life can get rough at different times. And uh, so we need to know these things. And Paul, uh, just to remind you, he gives this wonderful little book Uh, 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 there's a sweep to the book, a grammar to the book. In the first three chapters, he talks about new life and new humanity. He, He actually does something that Paul does in all of his writings. He uses verbs, but the verbs that he uses in most of his writings, he starts out with what we call indicative verbs. In other words, he talks about us as we are. He tells us, here's who you are. You are free in Jesus Christ. You are in Jesus. You are new creations in Jesus. You've been born again or born from above in Christ. He gives all of these indicative verbs telling you who you are. Then in the second half of the book of Ephesians, he talks about because of who you are, your new behavior, your new ethics, how you're to act out of who you are. Are and then finally in these last couple chapters, we've been looking about the new relationships. They're actually not new; they're the relationships everybody has. But he says, "Here's a new way to approach your relationships. Here's how you're to see your relationships with other people, your your marriage, your home, your work, and then we finish with these unseen forces, these spiritual forces." And Paul says, "You put on the armor." Of God. And again, I've told you that, you know, in Christianity, and particularly in a lot of churches, the image that most pastors will present is that Paul is thinking of a Roman soldier. Paul's in jail and he's looking at the Roman soldier and he says, you know, this is the Roman soldier, so here's the armor of a Roman soldier. And while that's not untrue, it's not completely true. And of course, here at Christ the King, we only Uh, speak the truth. Amen. Thank you. One amen. No, No, we really try to get behind... uh, Not that other churches don't do that, but I'm committed, folks, to looking... What did Paul really think about? Paul was a rabbi. He was a Jew. He was steeped in the words of the Old Testament. If you had scratched... Paul he would have bled the old testament this was a man that not only knew it he memorized huge portions. the average rabbi could memori- had memorized all five books of the old testament the torah by memory most of psalms most of proverbs much of the writings of the prophets committed to memory and so this was a man who was steeped in the words of this prophet isaiah So let's take a moment and read uh, this passage very thoughtfully and try to capture some of the context of what the uh, prophet Isaiah is saying and where Paul is going to get this image of shoes that are shod or uh, uh, contained within the boots of this great gospel of peace. Now hear the word of God. Isaiah 52 I'm going to read just the first ten verses. Awake, awake and put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised or the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that My people are taken away for nothing." Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day. My name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of Your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Paul talks about six parts of armor a belt, of righteousness, a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, boots or feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which we'll look at in a moment, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what I've tried to get you to start thinking about is that Paul is reaching back into the imagery of the Old Testament. And the picture of a divine warrior who puts on this armor. And the armor naturally also has uh, cognates within uh, the Roman armory that a Roman soldier would have put. But it also has... Uh, cognates with today's army. I mean, we have lots of military in our church. And you guys know, you women who are in the military, or even those of you that have just watched television, for goodness sakes, or movies, you know that these modern soldiery equipped same way. same way they have the same articles of armor. And what we have to know, folks, is as Christians, we have been called into warfare doesn't mean that we're to be angry and hostile like you see so much of today. Christians are angry and hostile about everything. I'm not sure why. But we're angry and hostile. That is not the image we're called to do. We are called to be people that are clothed with armor because we are fighting a battle. And that battle, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, is a battle of strongholds. A battle for the mind. A battle for... Our thinking. Not only ours, but the thinking of people around us. It's a place where lofty opinions are held. Where pride and arrogance, like we know everything, we know all the science is the answer to everything. Or technology. Or power and strength. We have these presupposed ideas and what the armor of God is to do is to challenge those and tear them down. Because their source... Behind everything and back there in the background in the unseen world is an evil spirit. Many evil spirits that are feeding our culture and our world with things that are evil and contrary to the truth of God. And let me tell you this, folks, Satan uh, rarely comes to you and tells you something like this, I want you all to believe that the moon is made of cheese. Right? You all know the moon is not made of cheese, right? I mean, I'm not getting much <laughs> feedback here. <laughs> the moon's not made of cheese, and you know it's not made of cheese, and so he rarely comes to you and tells you the moon is made of cheese. What the devil usually do, does is he tells you a lot of truth. What scholars and teachers and theologians have said, he, says, he, he gives you the skin of the truth and he fills it with a lie. Look at the fruit. Doesn't that look good? Well, yeah, it looks good. Was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil evil? No. God made a good tree, put it in the garden. He just said, don't don't eat that tree. Leave that tree alone. When the time comes, if I want you to have some of that fruit, God knew the difference between good and evil. Yes, He had the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree itself was not bad. They're looking at the tree and seeing that it was a good tree. It was not bad. They were, in fact, supposed to cultivate that tree. What was wrong is he said, don't eat it. And he had reasons for that which I don't understand and neither do you. We don't know what the reasons are, but he said, don't eat the tree. And people forevermore have been looking at the skin of the truth that's stuffed with a lie and been eating that sausage. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Watch out. Put on your armor. Be out there. Be aware of what's going on. You're in a battle. And we're never to take that armor off. Not till the end of our lives. And when we do, you can take the armor off, you can strip down, but you're not going to be naked, folks. We're not going back to the garden like Woodstock and dancing around with no clothes. We we really don't want to see that, right? No, we're going to be in a new creation. A beautiful place. A place like this, only beautiful beyond description. And we're going to be clothed with robes of righteousness. Beautiful robes of righteousness. And Paul is drawing this down. We're going to have shoes, he says now, on our feet, prepared, ready for the, for the gospel of peace. So let's look. Here's at the outline quickly. I'm sorry. A little bit too much introduction, but wanted to catch everybody up because I know a lot of you have been traveling. Here's our outline. We've stuck with this outline throughout this little part of the book of Ephesians. What is this? Shoes and feet and readiness and the gospel of peace. What is it? Why do we need it? And how did Paul understand it? What is it? Why do we need it? How did Paul understand it? What is it? Well, basically, those shoes, those feet, that gospel of peace, that readiness is good news. It's good news. And the good news actually has a couple of parts, at least according to the Apostle Paul. First of all, he talks about readiness. Readiness. He said, we are shod with f- feet prepared or ready. Ready feet. In other words, we're not sitting in our, our a chair, uh, you know, on our stocking feet with our feet propped up and, you know, a cold, well, depending on what denomination you belong to, it could be anything from a, di- a Diet Coke to anything. For Presbyterians, we don't even want to talk to it about that. It could be any cold beverage. And you're sitting there and your feet are propped up and you're relaxed, everything's okay, right? No problem. And all of a sudden, your door bursts open and a bunch of armed men come in and you're jumping up, you're looking for your feet, you're looking for your gun. If you have one, you're looking for a stick, maybe the lamp will work, you don't know what. But you're going to defend your house, right? But what? You're not ready! There's no readiness, there's no preparedness. The Greek word is uh, uh, het, hetoimasia. It means a preparedness, a readiness to go to battle. You know, when the bell rings, you don't want to have to be searching around looking for your stuff. You want to be ready to go. And so in a certain sense, Christians are never, folks, you and I, are never to lay down our... Uh, battle armor we are always to be ready and those of you that have served in the military or maybe you've been a policeman or a fireman or something else like that where you're you're on call you're on duty uh, maybe you're a doctor you know you've you got to be ready to go and this is what he's talking about and there's the, the, the Greek, the construction in the Greek is a little bit ambiguous, like it often is, and so there's a subjective element and an objective element. Let me describe them for you real quickly. Maybe it'll help you a little bit. One, and, and because some of you have translations, and some of the translators translated in one way because of the, the there's technical reasons, and, and other translators translated another way. Basically, I'm going to opt for both. As I always do, the most important word that you can learn, folks, in theology is what? Theology class, what is it? Starts with a B, ends with an H, what is it? Both! Okay, so the subjective form is this, that the gospel of peace gives you, in your personal life, subjectively, a sense of peace and tranquility and firmness and stability, so that as... Uh, life's uh, bad news, bad troubles, uh, aff- afflictions, whatever you have, whatever's going on. As the attacks come, you have a certain grounding, a certain fa- a certain, uh, facility to stay fixed. In other words, your feet are locked. You've got a good, you know, like a football player that's in the stance and they can hit him and he, he doesn't move. Whatever it is, you, you've got your feet under you and it's for you in your subjective life and that's one way to look at it. But then there's an objective side, another technical way of, that we could, and it really could be both, and I'm going to opt for both. But this other way is that it's a readiness and a preparedness, a stability for in your life whereby you then go out and announce to the world this message of the Gospel of peace. And I'm going to opt for both. I'm, I'm going to say Paul... He could have made it more specific, he could have said more, but he left it like that, he left it in the certain form he did, because I think he wanted us to see that you need both, and think about this folks, you need both in order to do either one. You can't have a private gospel that you just live and you're cozy with yourself, that's no gospel, you've got to share it with other people, Right? But if you don't have that cozy gospel and that good, in other words, if you don't really believe that God loves you and has done something to change, essentially change the, the status and, and, and uh, the, the position of your life for eternity, if you don't believe that, then you're going to live an unstable life. You're going to be afraid all the time. Everyone in this room, we all know what it is to be afraid. A, 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 a number of things. You could be afraid of anything a financial setback, a disease, a divorce. Husband, wife that aren't getting along. Children, you don't know where your kid. I don't know where my kids are today. I'm hoping they're in church. I'm hoping they're in a good church. But I don't know every month. And even if I knew where they were at every month, what could I possibly do? I'm not a helicopter dad. I'm not a helicopter parent. I can't even fly my own helicopter. <laughs> Okay, so it could be both. And here's how the Apostle Paul put it in another place. I think this is why we can say both. This is Romans 10. He's describing how the gospel comes to an unbelieving world. How do people believe? How do they even know? How do they know what to believe or if they even want to believe? Listen, very familiar. How can they call on him whom they've not believed? How can they believe if they've never heard? How can they hear without preaching? How can they preach unless somebody is sent to them? As it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of Him who gives and brings good news. Do you see how Paul put the two together? You see, there's a person, you, not just me, I know I'm the professional holy person, but you also are that person. In whom I hope God has done something that's in, that's enormously meaningful to you, and that you would then, out of that amazing transformation that occurred in you, move into your life around you and want to share that in some nice way with those around you. That's what he's talking about. That's what the readiness for the gospel is. It's recognizing this. What about what is the gospel? Wow. What a loaded question. I mean, we could stop and spend the next whole year answering that question, what is the gospel? And I promise you folks, we would not get to the bottom of what it is. And all of you have in your mind an idea of what you believe the gospel is. Yes? Does everybody agree? Everyone has an idea in their mind of what the gospel is. So what I'm going to do is just share with you... a, a. Stuff you probably, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but here is what gospel means. It's the Greek word euangelion. A lot of you have heard that word euangelion. It means evangel. The little prefix eu means good. And angelos are angels, messengers, people who carry news. So euangelios is good news, a good message. An announcement usually of great joy. Now sometimes a yuangelion could be an announcement or portent of bad uh, news. Here's an example. In long before there was a gospel there were evangelion, There were gospels. There were announcements. In the ancient world they didn't have, uh, uh, you know, Twitter, and they didn't have uh, Facebook, and they certainly didn't have smartphones, lucky for them. They didn't have all these. They didn't have Internet. They didn't have CNN or, or uh, N- MSNBC or uh, the Christian Channel. Uh, I won't mention them. <laughs> you, you know, th- we, they, don't have, they didn't have all this mass communication. In other words, to get news from one place to another, somebody literally had to go and carry, sometimes carry, a written message, but more often they had to memorize because very few people could read or write. So these messengers would be sat down and they were, the ancient people were incredible. They could memorize. Americans can't because we have pencils. The, 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 the ancient people had to memorize. And so they would memorize these messages and then the king would say, go and spread the news. And they, off the runner would go. So in 490 B.C., Persia under Darius I invaded what country? Let's see if anybody knows. I mean, come on, small church. Look, what, who did they invade? Persia, Darius I. He attacks what nation? Babylon. Nope, Babylon. Eh. What? Greece. He attacked Greece. Off he goes, into Greece. And he was stopped. And sea, an overwhelming Persian force, stopped at sea and at land. And at land, very famous battle, the Battle of Marathon. Marathon. Yes, you all remember from your history? Some of you? Knock the cobwebs out. Go back, get some coffee. Hurry. <laughs> battle of Marathon. And what did that guy do, the messenger? He ran a marathon <laughs> back to Athens. We've defeated the army of Greece, now, or the army of Persia. Persia continued to attack, uh, those of you that know, over the years. And the Greeks were amazing. And with little forces, they were the 300 Spartans. They, they knocked them out in uh, 480, you know, just 10 years later at the Battle of Thermopylae. I mean, it's amazing history. But when they would win the battle, you know, everybody back home—it's—it's—you know—they were sitting there in Athens, wringing their hands, going, "Gosh, you know, in a few weeks the Persians could be here, and they're not just going to come and kind of play nice with us. They're going to kill us. They're going to take our stuff. They're going to take our women. They're going to make our children slaves. They're going to burn our city to the ground." This is the ancient world, and we're so insulated. Ask our soldiers—they see the horrors of war. Americans are too insulated. We watch it on TV, it's so abstract we can't get a fix on it. But I'm telling you folks, they would send this runner and the runner, his feet were beautiful because he had good news. We won. We're safe. We're safe for now. When when Augustus Caesar was born, now Augustus Caesar is the first Caesar that is mentioned in the Bible. Augustus Caesar was born, and listen to this, the inscription of His Gospel. Listen. The beginning of the Gospel of Caesar Augustus. And then what follows is this joyful announcement of the birth of Caesar Augustus, the August, the great. Caesar Augustus. Of His birth, his coronation, how his reign would be, all the great things that this new Caesar, the Caesar Augustus, what he was going to do. And the words were, in the beginning of the Gospel of Caesar Augustus. And so now, folks, listen, is it any wonder, is it, an, it should amaze you and thrill you that Mark came along and said this, in the beginning, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. He used the exact same words. We think that Mark sort of invented this. Mark borrowed it from culture, from the world. He said, this is the Gospel. That is not the Gospel. This is, That is a Gospel. This is what? The Gospel. This is the King. This is the Lord. Amazing. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 1.1 and all the other uh, Gospel writers picked it up. Let me give you a few quotes very quickly. Here's what the Gospel according to different scholars and historical figures say. Martin Luther. The story about Christ. The Gospel is the story about Christ. God's son, David's son, who died when w- was raised and is the Lord. Martin Luther. N.T. Wright. Archbishop Wright. The, or, or Bishop Wright. The Gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus who died for our sins and rose again according to the Scriptures has been enthroned as the true Lord of the universe. When this Gospel is preached, I'm continuing, Dr. Wright. When this Gospel is preached, God calls people to salvation out of sheer grace. Leading them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Tim Keller. A Gospel... This is in his book, King's Cross. I very highly recommend it. In fact, my friend Ivan's reading it right now. A gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history. Think Battle of Marathon. It happened in history, and off go the marathon runners to go bring the good news. An announcement that has happened in history, something that has been done for you. Listen, folks, the people hearing the gospel. What was the common thing they all shared uh, among each other that they didn't share with the people in the battle? They weren't there. They weren't there. They're hearing the news of the battle. They're hearing what had been done for them. Something that's been done for you, I'm continuing with killer, that changes your status forever. You're safe now. There's rescue. It's available for you. It's not good advice. This is one of the best things Keller's ever said. The Gospel is not good advice. It's good news. And in most churches today, what you hear is good advice. And I thank God we don't do that at our church. We give you the good news, folks. Do you realize how golden that is? to be able to come week after week, and whether it's me or Raul or David or Ugo or Dave or Gary or whoever or Ben Coppage, every week, every week, relentlessly, folks, we tell you the good news. And that's golden for you. It's golden for me. I need good news. I, I, I already have had plenty of good advice, and I know what to do. I need to know how to do it. I need to know how to live. I need to know how to fight. I need to know the armor of God. The Gospels, that announcement. And finally, one of the best quotes ever by Dr. Jack Miller, the late Dr. Jack Miller, famous quote, cheer up, cheer up. This is the Gospel. Cheer up. You are far worse, more despicable sinner than you ever imagined. But cheer up, cheer up. You're far more loved, cherished, accepted than you ever dreamed possible. Cheer up. The Gospel. The Gospel is that announcement that God Himself in the person of His Son Jesus came into this broken and messed up world and by weakness and suffering and sorrow and great power, but a different kind, began the great renewal. He he began, like those of you that have read The uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know that winter starts to melt. And what starts to come? What starts to appear? Spring appears. Winter, that had, they had been living in perpetually begins to thaw. Winter begins to break. And spring begins to come. Why? Why? Everywhere the children go, they hear this refrain. Aslan is on the move. The great lion has returned. The king of Middle... i uh, uh, got my stories mixed up. Narnia. <laughs> Not Middle-earth. But Narnia, the the great king of Narnia has returned and he's thawing winter and bringing spring. That's the story. That is the great narrative of the Bible, folks. Stability, the gospel of peace, peace with God and peace with one another. Why do you need it? Well, look, good news means nothing unless you have what? Bad news. And the Bible, the good news, also contains some bad news. The bad news is, and we've been looking at it for months and months and months, actually 30 weeks. We have been looking at the bad news. And the bad news, according to Paul, in the book of Ephesians, it's that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We're not just kind of wounded, kind of sick, maybe a little bit crippled. We need a little bit of help. We need a hand up. We need somebody to step in and kind of give us a lift. Uh, We need a little pat on the back. We need some encouragement. We need some good advice. You know, you don't give a dead person good advice. What do you do? You take out the paddles and you boom! You shock them back into life. You bring them from the dead. In Christianity, I'm sorry, most Christians just... You know, people are told, you know, you just need a little help. You just need Jesus. Just, you've got to keep going with your life and just add Jesus to your life. You need more, you know, you just need a little Jesus in your life. And then he will be the genie in the bottle. You just rub it and out he'll come. And when he comes out, you say, Jesus, thank you for showing up. I'm glad you're my co pilot. I needed a co pilot. I need somebody to sit there next to me and listen to my whining and complaining. And maybe once in a while give me some direction. But only if you tell me where I want to go. You tell me I'll go over there, I may, I may not go. I mean, you're a co-pilot after all. I'm the captain. I'm in the command of this ship. That's what we hear. Christianity is steeped in I got so tired of hearing it. I left Christianity. Do you know that, folks? For ten years. I was awful I'll share that with you in a few weeks I'm glad I'm back and thank you (laughs) I'm glad to be back but I haven't I have a different gospel actually the gospel instead of the crazy stuff I was told before we're dead in our sins and trespass we're separated from God Paul says from his life we're enemies of God he says in Romans we're alienated from God, he says. And if all these are from Ephesians and Romans. The bad news. But the good news is that he's done something. And so Paul puts it together, famous passage. Quickly, I'm going to read it for you. Don't turn there. Romans chapter 5. Here it is. You've heard it a hundred times. Hear it with new ears. For once, hear it with new ears. Pretend you've never heard this before. I know it's hard. Just try for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Bad news. Good news he died for the ungodly. Bad news that we're ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone would even dare to die. I mean, you look, for, you look at some scumbag out there, you're not going to die for him. But uh, hey, yeah, Pastor Chuck, he's a great guy. Maybe I would die for him, Right? Let's hear some amens on that. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, for for a bad person, you're not going to die. Maybe for a really good person, you'll throw your life, your body on the grenade or something for your buddies or what have you. You know, there, there are occasions for that. Paul says, he acknowledges, maybe for a good person, you might die. But God demonstrates, shows His love for us in this That while we were sinners, while we were that scumbag, while we were that worst person, while we were in the gutter, while we are in the depths of our sin, while we had nothing to commend us, all of the metaphors and words that you could possibly pile up, absolutely zero to commend you to God. Nothing on your record. Your bank account is not only at zero, it's in the red. Everything is against you. God commends His love for you in this... Christ died for the ungodly. He goes down all the way to the basement and gets us. And if you don't think you were in the basement, you need to come see me. We need to talk. He comes down to the basement. He gets us. Christ died for us. Since therefore, look, here it is. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved. Paul said it doesn't end with that. It's now that you're saved, He's going to do even more for you. Imagine. Can you imagine that? He goes to the basement and rescues you and gets you out of death. And He says, much more. It's going to be better than that. He's going to do more for you. We shall be saved by Him from the wrath. Of God, we have bad news, we have a problem. The wrath of God. People deserve judgment. I'm probably the only pastor in the United States of America that's have said that this morning. No, there's a few others. But very few. I'm so glad we sang in Christ alone. You know, that one of our sister churches expunged that, that verse about the, the wrath of God is past, has passed. What does it go? I, how does it go? The wrath of God is yes, the wrath of God is satisfied. A whole denomination expunged it from their hymnal and the Gettys, Keith and Kristen Getty, said, in that case, we own the copyright to that song, you may not use our song." And so that denomination had to take the entire song in Christ Alone, which, by the way, is the third, I think, the third most sung song, hymn today on planet Earth, everywhere, and in almost every language. How do you like that? And thank God the Gettys stood up to them and said, You're not going to sing our song any way you want. That song belongs to us. You take out the wrath of God. What does the song mean? What does the rest of the song mean? It means good advice good news is, wrath of God has been satisfied. That's amazing news. My record is clean. For while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled, Paul says, by the death of His Son, much more. Now that we've been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, every day, every breath you take, folks, God is saving you. Yes, you were saved. But He is saving you more and more every day. Every breath you take, He's saving you. Although the outward man perishes, and listen, this body is going to die. And though the outward man perish, you and I have this assurance. The inward man is being renewed day by day. We have a hope. We have a treasure. A treasure stored up for us. Where nobody can get to it. Where moth and rust cannot corrupt. Where thieves cannot break through and steal. And frankly, a piggy bank you can't even break and take out. It's God's place where He holds you in the very center. In fact, the Bible says He writes your name in the palm of His hand. That's good news. How did Paul understand it. Well, look at Isaiah. Look at that. I'll do this quickly. Verse 3. Bad news. You were sold for nothing. The nation of Israel went into a horrible slavery. They didn't just a few of them get taken away. The whole nation collapsed. They lost everything. They lost their nation. They lost their temple. They lost their entire military. They lost their family fabric, families were shredded and taken apart, where, where they couldn't even find their relatives in the years after that. Everything was lost. You were sold for nothing. The good news verse three You shall be redeemed without money. In other words, he told the apostle or he told Isaiah, I'm going to do something that money cannot buy. Money can't buy it. There's no price that you can pay for this. It is so extraordinary, so incredible, which without price. You were sold for nothing. I'm going to redeem you without money. And what's going to be the result? Look at what it says. Verse 6-8. We don't have time to read it. You will know God's name. And the messenger will come. He will come from that great battle where the price was paid. Listen, folks. He will come himself, the messenger of God. His feet, beautiful feet, scarred feet, nail-pierced feet, but it will be that messenger and he will come and he will have good news. And the result will be a people worshiping God, rejoicing rejoicing in... Look at what he says in verse 9. Break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm. He rolled up His sleeves and He went Himself into the battle for you. And all the eyes of the nations will see it. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Isaiah was looking at a day in which God Himself would come as the divine warrior and bear His arms, roll His sleeves up, and enter that battle alone, would conquer and win that battle on the cross, would defeat grave in the resurrection, would rise from the dead, would come back to His people there in Jerusalem, gathered, hiding 120 few, and appear to them and say to them these words, Listen, I, here's the message, I am the one who is dead, but I'm not dead anymore. I've been raised from the dead. I was the dead, but now I'm the living, and I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Now go. Go into all the world. And do what? Proclaim the Gospel. Wow! Can you get over that? I can't. And I hope you won't either. I hope it'll go down into your heart and change who you are so that you'll find peace with God in your own soul and that that peace will bubble up and spill out into those around you. Will you do it? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for giving us this Gospel and though... uh, Life can just come crashing down around us with all kinds of sorrows, broken relationships and financial setbacks and just our age. Some of us are getting older, Father. Our bodies are failing and we know that, that there's a lot more behind us than ahead. We know our frailty. We know that we're but dust. Who can save us? Who can rescue us? Who's already been in that dark grave? Who knows what's behind the veil? And who has the power to actually rescue us from that? I only know one. I know You, Lord Jesus. And I pray that today You will, by Your Spirit, Reach down into the heart and lives of your, of your dear people and give them assurance that you love them and that you have gone before them into the battle that you've conquered the giant death, the evil serpent. And now you have given us feet shod with preparation to spread this good news. Help us do it, I pray. In your Son's name, Amen.